We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Title Run Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, coming to you today from the Arthur Smith Studios to talk to you about the Atlanta Falcons in the 2021 draft. If you're new to the show, you can subscribe on any major podcasting platform. You can email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. So we're here to talk about 2021 draft, in particular what the Falcons should do with the juiciest draft pick they've had in 10 years. So the Falcons picking number four in the draft, they have a lot of options and a lot has been discussed. So I'm going to set you straight over the next few weeks about what the Falcons best and most realistic options are with the number four pick in the 2021 draft. So for starters, um, new Falcons GM Terry Fontenot, who has been really impressive in his first few media appearances and the little bit that he's interacted with the media, seems very, very likable. Uh, Doesn't mean he'll be a good GM, but He's the kind of person that's really easy to root for. But he's already come out and said that the team will plan to address major roster holes in free agency and will look to try to take the best player available with their draft picks. So I took that to mean that the Falcons will not be afraid to pursue offensive playmakers, including receivers, if that is the best player available at the number four slot, which was crazy to think about someone like Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith joining this offense. But while Fontenot's uh, approach sounds good in theory, I see, from my perspective, two issues. First, the Falcons have multiple roster holes to fill. Huge gap at edge rusher, which has been the case for a long time for our team. Uh, They have one safety currently on the roster, and that's their 2020 draft pick, Jalen Hawkins. They're in need of another starter at outside corner a starting caliber running back, or at least someone that can share the load with Edo Smith, and probably a starter at left guard or center, although you could run it back with Carpenter and Matt Hennessy at those two spots, and you wouldn't be terrible, but you're probably looking to upgrade at least one of those two positions. So in addition to the fact that you have at least probably three dire needs, all on defense, and at least you know one moderate need on offense, the Falcons are currently projected to be somewhere around 12-ish million dollars over the cap, and that's according to SpotRec.com, which is one of the best cap websites out there. So that's even after cutting the very beloved but clearly declining Ricardo Allen and a solid but replaceable depth piece on the defensive line, Allen Bailey. And uh, I think that saved the Falcons somewhere around $10 million for this upcoming season. Um just a quick side note on Ricardo Allen. Really liked him. He's been a starter here for five or six years now, which is crazy to think about. Was a cornerback that actually got cut to our practice squad that we drafted back in, I think it was like 2014. Gets converted to a safety under Dan Quinn, ends up starting in a Super Bowl for us. So it's just crazy to think how far he came and how much he made of himself. But didn't have a great year last year in coverage. Didn't play the ball well. He was really valuable because of his knowledge. He was a guy that was really great at getting the defense organized getting guys to be in the right place. He was a big, great communicator, but when the entire secondary is learning a new scheme, I guess it's not quite as valuable. And he just wasn't great last year, so definitely a way to upgrade and save yourself. I think he was due $6 million. But it's hard to say the exact amount for the Falcons because the number has not been officially been announced. It was supposed to be somewhere around $175 million. The Players Association and the league got together, bumped it up to somewhere in the 180 to $182 million range. We don't have that final number yet. But the Falcons 
at least according to SpotRack.com, are projected to be somewhere around $12 million over the cap at the moment. So, how do we get under the cap? The Falcons can trim about $11 million off that number if they restructure Grady Jarrett and Deion Jones. And just to clarify, when you restructure, what you essentially do is just convert some of the salary into guaranteed bonus money that's due over the next few seasons. So if you're restructuring players that you plan on keeping around on your team for the entire duration of their contract, it's not an issue. And it's hard to see any scenario under which Grady Jarrett and Deion Jones would not be a part of this franchise over the next few years as they finish out their contracts. Now, you could save even more money if you went to restructure the gigantic contracts of Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. But since that money then becomes guaranteed... It means that you owe way more dead money if you try to depart with either those two aging stars in the next couple of years. So this is why restructuring Jarrett and and, uh, Deion Jones makes more sense because there's virtually no scenario in which they're going to leave the team. But if you try to restructure Julio and Matt, you save a lot this year. But if you go decide to cut one of them the next two years, you're just slammed with the dead money. So those deals probably aren't possible to restructure if you're looking long term. Now, they could also restructure Tyler Davidson and James Carpenter and get themselves roughly another $3 million to work with, which, get, which would get them under the cap. But again, you really want to commit to guaranteeing money for those two players. I'm not sure either will be on the team next year, uh, moving into the 2021 season, for sure. And I'm definitely not sure either would be on the team the year after that. So the bottom line is the Falcons can probably finagle enough room with the cap if they make some of these restructuring moves and maybe cut on a player um, that's not in the plans for Coach Smith and his regime, they can probably make enough room to get one big ticket free agent item. And we're talking about in like the five to eight million dollar bin on either the secondary line of scrimmage because eight million dollars gets you a really good safety and eight million dollars can get you a really good offensive lineman, especially on the interior, or at least a better than average offensive lineman on the interior. Or you could take that money and split it on two solid to good stopgap starters. So we'll come back and discuss what some of those free agency options would be in the upcoming weeks. But that's kind of what we're looking at. Falcons can probably, if they make the right moves, clear maybe double digits in the millions for for cap space if they don't make some big, enormous cut. But they're not looking at a year where they're going to be able to spend a lot of money, which is something we knew coming out of last season. If you remember, the cap was originally projected to be about $198 million. So for those of you shaking your fist at Thomas Dimitrov, We would have come into this season with decent cap space if COVID doesn't hit and the cap number just doesn't plummet. So as much as people want to shake their fists at him for giving these big contracts to Matt, Julio, Grady, Deion Jones, we would still have cap space if things had been even semi-normal. So let's assume that the Falcons... So let's assume the Falcons can only fill a couple of small holes in free agency. What are their options at the number four pick? As I see it, they essentially have three options. Three attractive options, I should say. Option number one, attempt to trade back with the team looking for a quarterback. Option number two, stay and take the best quarterback available. Plan your future with Matt Ryan's replacement. Option number three, stay and take the best player available. So essentially, those are your three options. And each one has its own uh, pros and cons. So start with option number one. If you attempt to trade back with the team looking for a quarterback, you have two very, very realistic options with Carolina at number eight and Denver at number nine. And 
people will talk about trading back on the draft all the time, but they never talk about actually having a partner to trade with. They just say, oh, we'll trade back. Well, you have to have somebody that wants your spot, and there's a player that they want to get that they don't think they can get. Denver and Carolina are both hungry for quarterbacks. Denver's had a track record of drafting terribly quarterback, going all the way back to Tim Tebow. One quarterback after another after another has failed there, so they're going to take another shot at it because I don't think they're happy with Drew Locke. And Carolina has clearly been quarterback hungry as they got in on the Matt Stafford sweepstakes, and they apparently really like Justin Fields. So what you got to do is beat Miami to the punch and get them to move up to number four to take your spot and get the best quarterback available there. And at the number four spot, they're going to get one of the big four quarterbacks. I'm using air quotes here. You're not going to get Trevor Lawrence, but you have a chance to get probably either Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, or even if it's your fancy Trey Lance, who is a prospect I'm not a huge fan of, but we'll talk more about that later. So what would that trade involve? If the Carolina Panthers or the Denver Broncos were to move up from number eight or nine to the Falcon spot at four, you're probably talking about their first-round pick this year, their first-round pick next year in 2022, and a second-round pick this year. That's probably the minimum you're getting. So if the Falcons make that trade happen, they end up with the number 89 pick in this year's draft, their own pick at 35, plus either the number 39 or 40 pick because those are the picks that Carolina and Denver hold. So just think about this. Three picks in the top 40. If you hit on all three of those, you could remake your roster an entire year like the Saints did in the 2017 draft when they got Alvin Kamara, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams, and Trey Hendrickson. Four studs that have been cornerstones for their uh, division back-to-back division championships the last few years. So, why wouldn't you do this? <laughs> really is the question. What's the downside? The one downside, and it's a fair point, is that you don't plan on being bad again. We haven't drafted this high in 10 years. You don't plan on being this high in the draft again. And the quarterback of your future could be staring at you at number four. You assume that the Jacksonville Jaguars are taking Trevor Lawrence to the number one pick. Either Justin Fields or Zach Wilson's probably going with the number two pick. Then assuming the Dolphins keep their pick, they're not taking quarterback at number three. So whoever's left out of Justin Fields and Zach Wilson is staring at you at number four. So that's a quarterback that you could take that could sit for another year, maybe even two under Matt Ryan, get prepared for the NFL game, and then come and start and hopefully play at a very high level. Now, my counter to that is that I'm not really a fan of taking your third or fourth option (laughs) with the number five pick. And that's what you'd be getting there. If the first three picks are all quarterbacks, you're at that point then taking your fourth pick at a position in the top five of the NFL draft. That, to me, is not a recipe for success. That's what you refer to as a reach. So while it's great to think about drafting someone that you could develop, I think that if the top one or two quarterbacks are gone, you go best player available. Because again, why reach and take a guy that's really a top 40 player at number five if there are 10 players better than him available? Because I'll just be honest, Trey Lance's and Justin Fields are available in every draft. You can get one of those guys in every draft. Can't go to Trevor Lawrence in every draft. You You can get a Zach Wilson in every draft. However... Again, the counter to that is, well, that's true, but will you ever be high enough to draft one again? And that, again, is a fair point. So having said that, what would your options be at number eight or nine? 
you're almost certainly going best player available since you have the luxury of an extra pick in the second round. So a few options that you could take in that range of eight or nine. You could go with the best cornerback available, whether you like Caleb Farley for Virginia Tech, who I'm a big fan of, or Patrick Sertan from Alabama, who I think is slightly overrated but still a really good prospect. You could go with Micah Parsons, who's a very versatile linebacker from uh, Penn State. Because, again, if you're talking best player available, he's a top 10 talent. He's very versatile. I think he could play outside in 3-4. I think he's got some pass rushing upside. Um, and he could slide inside and play inside in a 3-4 if Deion Jones or Foye Luakon gets hurt or declines. I mean, you can't have enough good defenders in your defense. You could also go best wide receiver available with Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith or Jalen Water, whichever one of them is available at eight or nine. Or, and here's your wild card pick, you can go Kyle Pitts at number eight or nine and really give yourself a weapon for Arthur Smith's tight end centric offense. Now, again, the issue is that you may not get another chance to take a franchise quarterback because you don't plan on picking this high again. Although I do think the history shows you can find franchise quarterbacks later on in the first round. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was at the bottom of the first round. But, again, your chances are pretty high of getting a safer bet at quarterback higher up in the draft. But let's say you stay and take the best quarterback available. Zach Wilson and Justin Fields are both good prospects. I think they do different things well. And with Wilson, I've actually started breaking down about four or five of his games. He is a much better prospect than I thought. Freakish accuracy, good athleticism. Um, but – He's still kind of an unknown with just the one year of really high-level play. Fields is definitely flawed. He pats the ball. He had the longest time holding the ball of any quarterback in college football this season on average. But when he cuts it loose, he's very accurate. He's got a big arm, and he's got a lot of athleticism. So I don't think either is NFL ready. I think Fields probably has a little bit more NFL upside. I think Wilson is probably a little bit more pro-ready right now. And I think either of them are good prospects if you're not going to play them. I think that Fields is probably a little bit better in a downfield attacking offense like somewhere like Tampa Bay. And, man, and you look at Wilson, like the Kyle Shanahan office or traditional West Coast offense where it's a lot of short timing throws, getting the ball quickly, bootlegs, I think he could absolutely slay it in the offense like that. So, again, I think both of them have the potential to be uh, really good picks. I think Wilson maybe fits a little bit better what we're going to be doing under Arthur Smith. Justin Fields is the hometown boy. You want to talk about getting fans hype and putting butts in the seats. Justin Fields your guy, and I do think he's a good prospect. Having said that, there's the, there's also Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance is a pure upside pick. I don't think he's anywhere close to being ready to start in the NFL, and you will see a lot of comparisons to Josh Allen, and those are valid. But if you remember, Josh Allen was a huge boomer bust prospect who to this point has been bad for one year, solid for one year, and then actually good for one year. And, you know, it still remains to be seen if he's going to maintain that level of play. But they basically had to redo his throwing mechanics to get him to put where he is now, where he looks like a really, really good NFL quarterback. Could that be Trey Lance? Yes. But if you watch him, he's raw. He's a good runner. He's got a strong arm. He is very unpolished. He does not have great accuracy. I don't think he's anywhere ready to start in the NFL. And I would not touch him at number four. And if I was anything that needed an immediate starter, I would not touch him at all in the first round. Um, he's somebody that needs to sit and watch a little bit. And I said the same thing about Josh Allen a couple years ago. And people looking back at me, like, hey, you said Josh Allen wouldn't be good. I said, no, 
Josh Allen might struggle if he had to play right away, and he did. He was terrible as a rookie. He was carried by a really good defense his sophomore year, and he was up and down. And this year, he was actually legitimately a high-level starting quarterback. So, again, maybe he should have sat for two years so you could have gotten this version of Josh Allen to begin with. Anyways, I digress. Option number three, stay and just take the best player available. So some of the options if you stay there at number four, uh, you could go ahead with the best wide receiver, whether that's Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith, whoever you like. You could go ahead and take a tackle with Panay Sewell. We don't need a tackle, but I think he's probably a better prospect than Caleb McGarry. Maybe you can kick McGarry into left guard and solve the problem there. Or you can go ahead and just take your quarterback if you think that's the best player available. Or even someone like Micah Parsons. I mean, taking linebacker at number four seems really high to me. But if that's who you have as number four on your board, I, that's the pick. Having said all this, my preference easily, without question, is to trade down. So, imagine one of these potential halls with the number eight or nine pick the number 35 pick, and the number 34, and the number 39 or 40 pick. So, the first one, Patrick Sertan with your first pick, Travis Etienne with your 35th pick, and Mac Jones with your second second-round pick. Or how about this one? Micah Parsons with the 8 or 9 pick, Trey Lance with pick number 35, and then Trey Sermon with pick number 39 or 40. Or how about this one? Kyle Pitts with your first-round pick, Aziz Ojolari with your first pick in the second round, and then cornerback J.C. Horn from South Carolina with your second second round pick. Or here's another one for you. Alabama's Heisman Trophy winning receiver Devontae Smith at number 8 or 9, Wake Forest defensive end Carlos Basham at number 35, and then Ohio State corner Sean Wade at number 30 out of 40. Tell me you would not kill to get any of those talent halls. So... What should the Falcons do with the number four pick? If at all possible, trade down. Pick up a hall of talent. Load up on the best players available at positions that make sense. And let's roll in 2021. I'll be back to break down some of the individual prospects I like and don't like, specifically at quarterback and cornerback. Uh, I'll give you some more feedback there and even a little bit of running back. But this is part one of our series on what the Falcons should do with the number four pick of the 2021 draft. So that's it for today's show. This is Dave Bethay for the Title Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.